Thank you, Brother Decker and accompanists and choir. I, I love music and I appreciate the tenderness of those words. We especially feel the need for the Savior in our lives every day. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. To the rest of you, good morning. <clears throat> it's such a privilege for Sister Christensen and me to be with you today. We have, have an extended relationship and many tender memories of our association with this wonderful institution. There's something very gratifying about being at an institution of higher education. Every time I walk across the campus of any college or university, I just have an adrenaline rush. Uh, it really doesn't matter if it's a large public institution like the National University of Mexico that has an enrollment of about 250,000 students or a small private school like LDS Business College with approximately 2,500 students. There's always something special in the atmosphere surrounding a learning environment. Maybe it's the energy that's part of an incredible experience that you have after great effort that you finally understand an important topic that you've been struggling with that makes you feel or that suddenly makes sense to you. Perhaps it is created by the collective stress, anticipating and then planning for finals. Who knows, whatever the reason. But whatever the source, the feeling is distinctly palpable. I have observed over the years that many students get very excited when they receive their acceptance letter, notifying them that they are now ready to begin their educational journey. Then later, I've marveled that they start anticipating the day when they can finally graduate and receive their degree, get out of school, and get on with life. Maybe the mindset is similar to those who look at a partial glass of water. The optimist sees the glass as half full, the pessimist sees the glass as half, half empty, and the pragmatist looks at the glass as being twice as large as it needs to be. It's all a matter of perspective and attitude. Each of us probably needs to take some time to reflect upon and come to grips with our attitude about learning and its purpose in our lives. If you really think about it, life is all about learning. Our learning process, understanding who we really are and who we are destined to become, began long before birth and will continue after death. However, a significant part of learning in our mortal life occurs during this wonderful time when we're attaining a higher education. I personally believe that the two fundamental purposes of going to college to get an education are, one, to prepare for a career and so that you can provide for the temporal needs of you and your family, and two, just to learn how to learn. Much of what you learn in your formal education here at LDS Business College and at other institutions after leaving here will become obsolete over time. New laws or standards will be adopted. New technologies will eclipse the ways that we work today. New ideas will create industries and job opportunities that we cannot currently imagine. And knowledge will be gained that gives us new views on things that we once thought were absolute. The world is in a continual state of change and we need to be informed about the important changes all around us. And so, we need to continue learning. The principle of lifelong learning not only should be part of our DNA, but it's also part of our doctrine. There are several scriptures that attest to this. For example, the glory of God is intelligence. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. Study and learn and become acquainted with all good books and with languages and tongues and people. Seek ye out of the best books, words of wisdom. Obtain a knowledge of history 
and of countries and of kingdoms and the laws of God and the laws of man. And teach one another all things that are expedient for you to understand of things both in the heavens and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexities of the nations. Contained within those familiar verses is every subject you can imagine. And then there is this promise. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. We need to keep learning so that we are prepared to receive and understand all that the Father hath. The church also places a high degree on the importance of education. President Hinckley frequently admonished us, get all of the education that you can. Another interesting perspective came many years ago when President Eyring was serving as the president of Ricks College. He had received an assignment from the commissioner of the church educational system at that time, Neil A. Maxwell. Elder Maxwell asked different people to reflect upon and write a white paper addressing various aspects of the future of the church educational system. President Eyring's assigned topic was higher education within the church. As he wrestled with this topic, he requested an appointment to visit with the chair of the Board of Trustees, President Spencer W. Kimball, who happens to be President Eyring's uncle. President Eyring explained his task and described the conundrum that he had. He outlined his thinking and in essence said, I can see the need for having institutions of higher education in the church between now and the millennium, but I don't see a need for them after that. President Kimball quizzically responded, Hal, where did you come up with an idea like that? In the history of the world, there has never been an organization designed better for accumulating and disseminating knowledge than a university. The curriculum may need to change, but surely we have many things yet to learn. And we will continue to have that need even during the millennium. As a result, the church continues to support five wonderful institutions of education. BYU, BYU-Hawaii, BYU-Idaho, LDS Business College, and BYU-Pathway. As each of you knows, many elements factor into the higher education decision. Will I go to college or not? Which college or university will I attend? What will I major in? What are the options after graduation? Do the long-term benefits exceed the costs? Can I afford the cost? Or am I smart enough to be successful? I know that each of you has your own list. Sometimes the decision to go to college or to go back to college is influenced by some job experience that helped you see that the path you were on did not look very promising. Perhaps you had a job of one kind or another that you did not enjoy very much. For some, it might have included delivering pizzas or scrubbing floors and toilets or changing the diapers of somebody else's children. For others, it might have been repeatedly asking the question, do you want fries with that? There are others who perhaps had to go to a boring office every day and complete the same mindless tasks over and over and over again. And then there are still others who maybe did not have much hope of even finding a job without getting an education. For nearly every person, some kind of work may seem meaningless or impossible to endure. Hopefully, as you complete your formal education, your future career will provide you with many rich and fulfilling experiences. However, with every job, there are lessons for life that can be learned. 
If we are observant and reflective, we can learn and apply those lessons to ourselves from a wide variety of experiences. If we are wise, we can learn from the experiences of others as well. We do not have to experience everything ourselves to learn some of life's important lessons. I would like to share with you some lessons from my earlier work experience that perhaps may be of value to you. I have entitled these remarks, Lessons Learned from the Glass Shop. My first real job was working in a glass repair shop. A counselor in our bishopric had purchased the business and needed some cheap custodial help. His daughter liked me and so did he. So I started working at age 15 on Saturday afternoons after the shop was closed. I cleaned the office, swept the shop floors, and scrubbed the bathrooms. Since I was there alone almost all of the time, I often wondered if what I was doing really mattered and whether or not anyone really cared. I later learned that the first thing on Monday morning, the owner would look over the shop to make sure that everything looked organized and in place and was ready for business. The office manager would check out the bathrooms, and she was always grateful when they were clean. Even if you think that what you do is insignificant, someone will be paying attention and notice, even if that person is only you. I continued working on Saturdays through my high school years. I also worked full-time in the summers during high school and prior to serving a mission. Over time, I became an assistant glazer. For those of you who don't know, a glazer is someone who repairs broken windows, fixes broken screens, and replaces windshields on cars. It was good, honest, honorable work, and I learned many valuable skills that helped me develop some home repair skills over the years. But working long hours in a glass shop was one factor that helped motivate me to want to get a college education. I didn't want to stay doing that same job the rest of my life. However, I did learn some important lessons from my boss about hard work, being honest, keeping commitments, and meeting deadlines, etc. I also learned much from the various work assignments that I had. Among the many, these four lessons provided valuable insights for me and hopefully will be meaning for you as well. Our glass shop had contracts with many of the car dealerships in town and to repair broken windshields that needed repair before the cars could be sold. So when I turned 16 and received my driver's license, the owner would let me drive the cars back to the respective dealerships. For a young man with a newly minted driver's license, it was a dream come true. I drove all kinds of trucks, vans, and cars. I had Fords, Chevys, Oldsmobiles, Buicks, Cadillacs, Pontiacs, Plymouth Dodges, Datsuns, Mercedes-Benz, all kinds of cars. One day, my boss came to me and said there was another car that needed to be taken back to the dealer. He handed me the keys to a brand new Porsche. I was awestruck. I had dreamed one day of owning a Porsche, and now the opportunity had come to drive one. I sat down in this beautifully handcrafted leather seats and let my hands caress the steering wheel. I checked the mirrors to make sure that everything around me was visible and safe. I started the engine and listened to it purr. I wanted to give it some gas to hear the powerful roars that jumped into life, but I thought better of it because my boss wasn't too far away. It was one of those moments, fortunately, when I had the maturity and the wisdom that kicked in just in time. As I think about it now, I can hear echoes of President Oak's talk when he asked the question, where will this lead? I backed carefully out of the shop, turned down the long driveway, and headed for the street. 
once to, at the head of the driveway, I looked both directions to make sure that all was clear. And before taking this well-engineered mechanical masterpiece on the road, I moved slowly out onto the street, crossed several lanes of traffic, and drove right into the driveway of the Porsche dealer's lot, which happened to be directly across the street from the glass shop. <laughs> For my once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to drive a Porsche, I never got the car out of first gear. I never experienced the full power and potential for which this performance vehicle was designed to give. So therefore, the first lesson that I would share with you from my experience is, don't get stuck in first gear. Because of who you are, you have been endowed with a lot of power. You have been designed for success. You have many unique gifts and talents. As you look to the future, aim high, get it in gear, and reach your full potential. The next experience also worked, <clears throat> resulted from a work contract. A large bread store that was opening a new retail outlet and wanted to have glass shelves throughout the store. My boss had measured all of the dimensions. My job was to cut dozens and dozens and dozens of shelves of varying sizes, usually about 12 inches wide and about three to four feet in length, and then to sand the edges off to make sure that they would not be hazardous for the customers entering the store. Cutting glass is relatively simple. In fact, I'll give you a quick demonstration. This is one of the skills I learned. Oops. This is just an, a normal, ordinary piece of window glass. So if you just set it down with a glass cutter, score the surface, then you can just snap the edge of that thing off and it makes a nice, smooth cut. However, the measurements have to be very precise because glass is not quite as forgiving as, say, fabric or paper or even wood. And so it's sometimes challenging to cut just a fraction of an inch off the end of a piece of glass. The edges of glass can be razor sharp and so have to be sanded off with a wet belt sander. So after accumulating large stacks of shelves, I would put on a heavy apron and spend hours and hours a day in front of a belt sander. There are eight sides on the glass, four on the top surface, four on the bottom surface, and then all four of the corners need to be buffed off. The most efficient way to get this job done is to develop a pattern. So first you'd sand along the one edge, you'd flip it over, sand the other edge, spin it around, do the other side, flip it, and do, flip it over, do the other side, and then you do the short edges, long edges, then repeat the four corners. Because the task was so repetitive, I would sometimes forget which edges had been sanded and which had not. So I occasionally got into the habit of just running my hand along the bottom edge of the glass to make sure it had been sanded. Most of the time it wasn't a problem, but I would end up slicing my hand on a razor-sharp piece of glass that was non-sanded. So therefore, the second lesson that I would share with you is stay focused on the task at hand, no pun intended. <laughs> routine tasks can be tedious. To some extent, routine tasks will be part of every job. If you become distracted, you could end up getting hurt. So pay attention to the details and do well in all aspects of your work, even the routine things, and your efforts will be noticed. You will end up being rewarded and ultimately be successful in your future careers, whatever that career choice may be. Now, the third event was emotionally painful for me, 
but was very, a very important learning experience. After learning the basics of measuring and cutting glass, I felt fairly confident in my abilities. I could handle most windows of any size, and doing the shelves of the bread store was in, within my level of expertise. But then one Saturday afternoon, as I was alone in the shop doing my custodial duties, a customer saw that the garage doors were open, and he came back to the driveway and into where I was sweeping the floor. He needed a piece of glass cut for a tabletop and asked me if I could help. I explained to him that the shop was closed and encouraged him to come back on Monday. He said it was somewhat urgent. I think he probably had some family event that was coming up and needed to have this ready. So he asked if there was any way that I could assist him. Being kind-hearted and service-oriented, I thought, I'll see if I can figure out a way to get this done. He gave me the dimensions, and I started looking around to see if I could find a piece of glass that could be trimmed easily to the size that he needed. I could not find anything that was close to the right size, so I had to pull a full sheet of glass out of the rack that's about four feet by eight feet in length and laid it on the big cutting table. I had never cut a piece of glass that size before, but I had seen my boss do it, so I thought, how hard could this be, really? I got up on the table, got the straight edge, scored the surface of the glass, and then in order to get a clean cut on that size, I'd seen my boss pull it over the edge and put a little leverage on it and snap down hard on it. So I lifted the long side of the glass over the table, snapped down, and rather than breaking along a clear, clean edge, as I had anticipated, the pressure I exerted caused it to break into several pieces in all random directions. None of the leftover pieces was large enough to cut the dimensions that this man needed, and I was not going to try to cut another full sheet of glass. I felt so badly and had to apologize to the customer for not being able to help with his need. I invited him to come up again to come back on Monday. My mistake cost the owner a sizable sum of money for breaking such a large piece of glass. I don't remember if he had me pay for it out of my meager salary or not. I think he was outwardly teaching me the importance of forgiveness, or at least forbearance. Therefore, the third lesson I learned was understand the limits of your capabilities. I realized and had to accept the fact that I did not know as much as I thought I did. There is nothing wrong with pushing yourself and testing your limits, but it is also important to recognize when you need to have help from somebody that has more experience or more education. While your potential has no limits, your current capabilities may not be all that you need them to be. So when you arrive at that point, find someone who can be your teacher or your mentor, someone who will give you a lift to the next level. The last experience I would share also involved an important learning event. I have a specific memory of a time where I had to drive the glass truck over to a distribution facility to pick up some large sheets of glass to restock our inventory. It may have been shortly after the previous event. <laughs> To put this experience into perspective, I need to give you a brief lesson on manufa the manufacturing process for glass. Glass used for windows, shelves, tabletops, glass doors, etc., usually comes from sheets of what is called flat glass, or sometimes called float glass. Simply put, it is manufactured by pouring molten silicon or glass onto molten sheets of tin and then slowly cooled. This creates an, e an even layer that essentially floats on the top of the metal. The thickness of the glass can be controlled in this manufacturing process by the speed the molten glass is processed through the furnace. 
typical window glass, single strength, is about 3 seconds of an inch thick. Double strength is an eighth of an inch thick. Doors, shelves, and tabletops are usually used plate or crystal, which can be a quarter of an inch to three-eighths of an inch thick. Obviously, the thicker the glass, the heavier it is. As the molten batch cools, it is inspected to ensure quality and clarity. It can then be cut into sheets based on the customer needs or predetermined industry standards. Distribution centers usually have large sheets of glass, but typically use four-foot by eight-foot sheets to load onto the side of a heavy-duty pickup truck with glass racks on both sides for local distribution. The distribution center was located in an industrial part of Oakland, California. It was an area that was unfamiliar to me. My boss gave me directions on how to get there and assured me that everything would be okay. Growing up in Northern California during a period of frequent protests and periodic riots, I was a bit nervous as I drove into this area. I was anxious to get everything loaded onto the truck and get out of town as quickly as I could. I don't remember exactly how many sheets of glass I had on the truck, but both sides were heavily loaded. And just to give you an idea how much a piece of glass weighs, one four-foot by eight-foot quarter-inch plate glass weighs about 96 pounds. So if both sides of the truck were loaded to capacity, that would be somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 pounds of glass. As I was trying to find my way out <clears throat> to the freeway on-ramp, I made a wrong turn and headed down a, a narrow neighborhood street. A couple of blocks ahead of me, I could see a large group of young men congregating on both sides of the road. From my vantage point, that did not look good. And so I was sure a truckload of glass driving down the middle of them was not a good idea. So I quickly drove up on the sidewalk on one side of the road, made a big U-turn on the sidewalk on the other, and headed in the opposite direction. Once I got to the freeway, I was feeling much more comfortable. I'd made it out of Oakland and was headed through the Caldecott Tunnel. Going east out of the tunnel, the freeway slopes downhill on a long, gentle decline. It's easy to gain speed without really trying. When I looked at the speedometer, I was going much faster than I was comfortable with carrying such a heavy load, but rather than slowing the traffic down on the freeway, I decided that I would move to the far right lane where I would not impede traffic flow. I signaled the turn, checked the mirrors, looked both directions, checked my blind spot, and then turned the wheel. Nothing happened. I turned the steering wheel slightly to the right and then to the left, and nothing happened. I realized that the front wheels were not responding. The load on the back of the truck had shifted backwards just enough to change the center of gravity for the entire truck, and the front tires were not touching the ground. At that point, I carefully applied the brakes until the truck slowed and I felt the front tires make contact with the ground again. And after pulling over to the side of the road and, stopped, and I stopped hyperventilating, I readjusted the load to make sure that it wouldn't fall off and have sheets of glass all over the freeway. And then I drove slowly back to the shop and got the truck unloaded. The fourth lesson gleaned from working in the glass shop was keep your load balanced. As you go through life and you have the additional demands and responsibilities heaped upon you, keep your load balanced so you do not lose control. Prioritize your life and set goals for the things that you need to do so you can focus on and accomplish the most important things first. And remember, the Lord is always there to help carry the load. 
he has stated, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we are yoked with the Savior, he will carry the heaviest part of the load for us. Help us keep our wheels on the straight and narrow path and be our guide to make it back to safety. I have great confidence in the rising generation. I look at you and hope great, or have great hopes for your future. Accomplishing what you are capable of achieving, however, won't just fall into your laps. It will require a lot, a lot of hard work. Take advantage of the various learning opportunities you have throughout your life. By doing so, the Lord gives us encouragement with this promise. And if a person gains more intelligence, or knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. So as you look to the future, wherever you go, you will have wonderful opportunities and be faced with some interesting challenges. You can learn valuable insights from any situation and any circumstance if you are mindful and are paying attention. Hopefully, you'll always remember to keep your life in balance. Understand the limits of your capabilities. Stay focused on the task at hand and get out of first gear and get going. Make this world a better place because you are a part of it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.